What's up, Watch Fam, and welcome to another episode of the Rico's Watches Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I am here today with Matt Smith-Johnson, founder of Sentient Creative, graphic designer and watch designer from Toronto, Canada, fellow Canuck and a good friend of mine. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing really great. Thanks for coming on the show today, man. I, uh, I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I appreciate you making the time to come on and uh, chat with me in the audience about your role you've played in the watch industry, your thoughts on design, and some of your own work that uh, you've been doing and, and what you have going on. Really quickly before we dive into those topics, though, what do you got on the wrist today? Oh, on the wrist today, I have my, uh, I don't know if we can see that there. It's quite mm. a peculiar piece. Interesting. It is the uh, Seiko, uh, it's a Jajaro piece from the 80s, from 83 for this one, 82 and 83. Nice. It's the A828-6000. And it is the weirdest configuration for a Jajaro, I think. Uh, it's got a bezel that you can turn and like select different functions. So right now it's set to time. If I wanted to like, you know, turn it to turn the bezel, you can set it to the stopwatch and get that functionality. It's a really peculiar piece. And uh, yeah, and it's got like a belt built into it for mm. if you want to take it off, there's a button here. Okay. And you can like, kind of like, oh, interesting. It off. there's also a way for you to take it off here with these two, like this, like seatbelt clip. Mm -hmm. So really there's more ways for this watch to fall off your wrist than there are for it to stay on, mm. uh, which is probably why there's not too many of these. <laughs> probably probably why there's not too many survive from the 80s and then you can just ratchet it back on it's a weird piece it took me a while to find one for a reasonable like in good condition for a reasonable price it's like it's kind of one of those watches where it's so rare and unusual the prices are all over the map like people either sell them having no idea what the heck they are um or they know it's rare but then they're like there's nowhere really to place it on a scale so like mm -hmm. i don't know four thousand dollars that's what i'm gonna ask for you know like i've seen them sell for that actually which is insane that's not what i paid nowhere near that <laughs> but <laughs> yeah what a very straight like it seems like a very over-engineered piece like there's so many com complexities about the design and it just seems like like for something to not make a lot of, like it just from like a cost perspective, like what a crazy amount of engineering Seiko had to put into that and money spent designing that for it to not end up being a super popular piece. Yeah, it, it's it's a definite anomaly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's just so quirky. Like it really looks like, like you know, I, I'm, I'm a designer. I really loved, you know, like Jajaro's aesthetic. And this piece to me really like sums it up in a way, like even things that are present on the cars, uh that, that he was involved with designing like delorean and the original rabbit um are two that are two of my favorite cars really boxy and just kind of this really feels like that you know like kind of almost like an 80s car interior too or it's very angular um and yeah and like it, it it is kind of you know as i said there's more ways for it to fall off your wrist than there are for it to stay on which is it's not the best design <laughs> in terms of functionality, but to me, it's just, it was just so charming and endearing. Like this is such a strange, strange piece that I didn't know anyone who had one or um, most of the time when I show people what it is, they go, what the hell is that? Mm. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, it took me a while to find one in good, in good shape. And I was lucky to find one uh, just in, in 2020, actually, I, I, I was able to locate one and work out a deal with somebody uh, through Instagram, which was, was good and uh yeah very happy i wear it a lot uh, ha i haven't lost it yet but i am cautious to wear it <laughs> only in times where i'm gonna mostly be in the house so very cool and so would you say like then as a designer and someone whose background is in design is that kind of how 
you are really kind of drawn to the watches that you pick to own is, is unique design or knowing more of the history of the, the people behind the watch so much more than just the watch itself? Yeah, yeah. I th There are things that, that draw me to watches that I don't, and just talking with other collectors and enthusiasts, like I, I think there's definitely, I see things a little differently in that regard. Uh, unless I talk to another collector who I know was a designer, then I often we see we go, right? Like, look at this, of course. Um, you know, I have a lot of stuff here, like, so, you know, came prepared today, but like I have this, this Speedmaster, which is the mm -hmm. uh, Mark four and a half. Mm -hmm. um, I guess some people won't be able to see this, but if you can, <laughs> if you're watching the video version, you know, uh, yeah, it's got the Lamania 5100 in it. And uh, I brought this one up before because the Lamania 5100, uh, oh, it's in between setting dates here. It looks a little weird, but anyways, uh, <laughs> the it's a weird movement to balance. Like if you look at it, it's got this 24 hour sub dial that's mm -hmm. at 12 o'clock. And it's actually kind of like up higher than the, I believe what's at the bottom here it is the, the hour counter for the chronograph mm -hmm. is at the bottom. Um, and then the running seconds is off to nine o'clock. And then there's the minutes is actually a central scale. So there's two hands stacked. And then there's the day date off to the, off to the side. But that, like the, the, the two registers at six o'clock and nine o'clock are kind of like radially balanced. So if you were to draw a circle in from the dial, it's like one sits right there and one sits right there. And it's, it's just nice balance. But that third one, is up really high. And if you Google, you know, Lamania 5100 watch, and there's some examples from Hamilton that show, like they look really unbalanced and that that 24 hour dial is just kind of floating off in a weird spot and it's interrupting things. And, and it, it, it's, it's a really hard movement to balance. But if you look at the, the Omega uh, Speedmaster Mark four and a half, and you look at, how they use that 24 hour and there's a, like a stroke for the daytime hours, like gray stroke they put on the bottom part of that 24 hour scale. Mm -hmm. And it just creates a heavier weight, which makes it gives you the optical illusion that it's actually sitting lower than it is. And it just balances the dial in a way that to me as a designer is quite magical. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, I really like that kind of thing. You know, I've got, you know, I've also got a, a youngins, uh, Max Bill Chronoscope, you know, he's the, mm -hmm. uh, people see minimal watches now, like the, the, the kind of punchline is, you know, people go, you know, people think by, you know, <laughs> Patek is a Daniel Wellington, you know, with a very minimal watch. But this is like, you got to understand with the Max Bill, like this, chrono, this Chronoscope was actually designed after he passed, so he didn't design this personally, but he wrote so much about design. He was, you know, at the School of Bauhaus that you could pretty much interpret his design posthumously, which another thing as a designer, it's really great if you have such a strong body of work and such an understood aesthetic that people can carry it on without you. That's kind of amazing. It's kind of like a designer immortality. Mm -hmm. But like when those watches, the original Max builds that were just kind of, you know, uh, that's just the time three-handers, um, they're very minimal, but at the time it was, it was quite different. You know, it really stands out. So I like to have a piece of something like that. So the chronoscope appeals to me because, hey, it's, it's got Max Bill, it has a connection to the, you know, the Bauhaus School of Design. And it's got that, you know, the fact that it's the model designed after his passing just kind of, it's, it's, it's every designer's like secret, you know, dream. Like they want to be remembered forever. <laughs> and he's, you know, it's, he's got a watch design. It looks just like he did it. It was created after his passing, which is also uh, remarkable so, to me. So, so how yeah. did, how did, I guess, 
you get started in the design world and then how did I guess that also translate into watches for you like where did the passion for watches start where did the passion for design start and then where did they kind of intersect for you yeah um so watches I kind of like it's weird there, there's I guess a couple stages of this where I'll say like there's there's a a very early period of like unaware watch enthusiasm, mm -hmm. which kind of goes back to before I can remember, if I'm honest, I've always revered watches as an important thing to have and to admire and to appreciate. I always wanted to have a watch and have one on mm -hmm. um, my first watch with an analog, you know, dial with hands on it. I couldn't even tell the time. I think it was like Eight, eight years old, not maybe nine pops, or maybe it was even seven. I don't know. I was quite young. <laughs> and I just begged my grandfather for this watch at uh, Zellers, which is a <laughs> very Canadian. Pretty sure it was a Zellers. It could have been a Sears, either, but I, I'm pretty sure it was a Zellers he used to frequent. And I just saw this. It was a, uh, I don't ha I have other examples, but I don't have one here, but it's a Zot watch, zero option theory. It was very, well, I've, I came to learn later, it was a ripoff of a uh, Elaine Silverstein kind of, or Silverstein. I don't know which way to pronounce it properly, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a ripoff of his, of his design aesthetic for sure. Mm. Uh, but I just loved it. And my grandfather got it for me and I wore it. And I don't think I ever set the time properly, but I just, I had to have it. And I know that later in life when I was kind of like a teenager and I was still, you know, I'm like buying G-Shocks and, you know, you have to really scrimp and save to get a G-Shock when you're a teenager. Um, and I remember my grandfather telling me like, oh, when you were little, and we'd be watching you here at, at the house, you know, we'd, he has all these, these grandfather clocks and he'd time the chimes just so they were just like, just a bit apart. And when it was like nap time for me as a very, you know, I guess like a toddler or baby or a toddler, he'd walk me around and we'd listen to the chimes and we'd wind each clock a little bit. And I have no memory of that. That's just what was told to me. But I think that there's some weird psychological, like that planted a seed way deep inside of my psyche that it's it's so far in there I I, <laughs> I I don't know like I've just I've always had this this thing that a watch is important and you gotta have it and you know I I, I went through I went to design school in the early 2000s um, when I started you know going to college um, and I had an amazing time design school was like one of the first places where I felt I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a bit of an outsider and that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with being a bit unusual and in, in my tastes and my, <laughs> my things that I'm interested in. Um, but design was the first place I felt wow, like I really fit in here. You know, and I was learning something. I, I just, I always, I wanted to be a designer since I was in grade four. And that's, that's not a joke. Like I, I, I got into design through, um, heavy metal also through like the t-shirt designs. There was an artist named Pusshead who used to like illustrate for Metallica for their merchandise. I also did for Thrasher magazine and I was into skateboarding. So he did like the Zorlax skateboard graphics with the skulls and like, he's a really cool aesthetic. If you Google him, you'll see exactly who that guy is. And I asked my teacher like, hey, what do I have to do in life to be able to like make album covers all day, every day? She said, I don't know. Let me figure it out and get back to you. And she came back to me few days later, like, you know, maybe like a week or so later and said, oh, you're going to have, you'd have to be a graphic designer. And as mm -hmm. soon as those words entered my ears, like everything from there on out was like going to be a graphic designer. That's it. So I'm in college. I'm feeling like I, you know, Hey, I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be. 
And I was researching, you know, for other projects. Uh, this is like, it's funny to say this now, but like in the early 2000s, the internet still wasn't super awesome <laughs> for a resource. So, you know, I'd, I'd still go to like the libraries to like pick up books and read about designers. The other thing you do is you go and pick up design annuals from like, you know, out here you go to chapters, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, you'd walk in there and you'd smell the, the coffee from whatever cafe and there's Starbucks they had in there. And that felt cool, you know, when you're a student and you're going in there and you're looking at design annuals to like, see what the latest trends are. And so I was picking up design annuals and there was this magazine, uh, had a really interesting masthead, which was QP. And I really liked how the QP sat. And I think there was a, I think there's an IWC on the, on the cover. Uh, but, oh, I can't remember which one right now. Uh, it's the diver. I don't remember which exact version of it anyways, but I, I just thought, well, that looks kind of cool. And I already had that interest in watches, but at the time, I think I was wearing a diesel watch that I got at like a kiosk, <laughs> you know, like it looked kind of cool, but it was, just wasn't anything special. And I picked up this QP magazine and I'm thumbing through it. And uh, the two things I remember the most from that, uh, there was an independent watchmaker by the name of Thomas Pressure, I believe is how you pronounce it. And he had this box set of three tourbillons. It was a single mm -hmm. axis, two axis, and a triple axis tourbillon. And it was like crazily expensive for one. So the prices were like, what? That's, that's, that's madness. But then like this guy, like he made them like and he assembled mm. them by hand and they were immaculate. And that was just like, what? I have to know more about this. And the thing that really sunk it in for me was um, Tag Heuer had unveiled the kind of 3D rendered concept of the Monaco V4, mm. uh, which ended up not being produced quite as promised. <laughs> Uh, and I think at the time that the list price, they were saying it was going to retail for like 64,000 USB. And, uh, and, but it was such a cool watch. And I, and I had a little bit of a knowledge about like an automatic watch with a rotor in there. Um, and um, this one had like, it has like a little ingot that bounces back and forth. So it's like a weird bumper automatic with these turbines. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was, it, it just, it just sunk its fangs into me and then that was it. And I, 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 every time I would like, you know, monthly I'd go back and I'd be like, okay, like where's the latest watch magazines? I'd start reading other publications and just absorbing more and absorbing more. And then later, you know, like forums and little posts became, I used to follow a Chrono Maddox back in the day. I don't know if you are familiar with him. He's one of the first guys to really like super catalog the details of all the different speed masters. Mm -hmm. And he is, he passed away in, 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 the two, in the early 2000s, I believe. I'm, I'm not sure when. Uh, Chuck Maddox, but his site has been kept online. And I totally recommend to anyone watching this or listening to this, if you've never been to the Chuck Maddox site, I mean, it looks like the era it was designed, so it's tiny now, but it's, it's a great resource for learning about Omega and learning about Speedmaster specifically. And just his passion just comes right off the screen like it's not the most polished content but like it's it's passionate and it just i really connected with that and um yeah i started making watch straps just as a hobby started selling them i met james stacy who at the time wrote for a blog to watch uh through online and he interviewed me i did a collaboration with the blog to watch that led me to rebranding them and and helping them relaunch their site at the time and then I started working on projects with them on an ongoing basis. And, you know, one thing just led to another. Eventually I had to drop making straps because I was so busy with other watch industry stuff. But I didn't, I don't know, at the time, I, when I, even when I was funny, when I was doing the straps, like I cared about it and I wanted them to be good. And there was something at the time I thought I couldn't find elsewhere. 
but I knew it was like a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew like, this is, this is the end goal. Uh, but that is where I came up with my handle, which I still use today, which is teenage grandpa. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I got that from watching 30 rock and there's the character, whatever Judd something. And he has the ironic hats all the time with, you know, joke kind of hipster sayings on it. And one of them said teenage grandpa. And it just made me laugh and it seemed dumb. And, uh, and I was really into like those weird contradictions. Like I, I used to have a thing on my old website, which is no longer up, but like, if you did a 404 error or broke it somehow, you would go to this page and it was baby caveman. And it was this like big eyebrowed baby. It was just, just silly, but I just liked the, the, the juxtaposition of like this. And then I, you know, I was talking about making straps with someone at the time I was working at Vice Media. I was a creative director there uh, in Toronto. And I had, uh, one of my friends, um, there, her name was Carly. And she was like, I, I, she's, you know, I told her about the teenage grandpa thing. Like, oh, that was really funny. And I was trying to come up with a name for my straps at the time. And she was like, yeah, like, you should do that. It's pretty funny. You know, you could use that. Why not? And I said, yeah. And she's like, it's kind of like the, and I said, yeah, we started talking. And it was like, you know, the, the kind of the mix of like the young and the old, right? And like the idea was I was taking watch straps, making them with old traditional tools. But I would like, my aesthetic at the time was to do like single-sided straps, very simple and traditional, but then I'd stitch them with like neon thread. Okay. or dye them purple or do some some twist on it so it was the idea of like traditional and new so the mm -hmm. mentality of a teenager <laughs> the mentality of a very old man all together at once so it just kind of stuck and i still kind of like yeah i feel like it fits with what i do overall and kind of my my interests in terms of design i, I like new and what's what's new really interests me but sometimes like also what's old you can you can bring those two worlds together and make something Really hey, interesting. So with the, the teenage grandpa handle, you then took to Instagram. And so can you kind of explain some of, because you, you have sort of your own little projects that you work on through Instagram and your own series that you, uh, you put out. Can you kind of talk about your Instagram page and some of the work that you do on there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so yeah, I mean, originally Instagram, uh, like I said, I think I was just getting out of straps when I started. Uh, so it's evolved over time. You know, I, I've, I use it as a platform for a few things like, you know, for photography, I've, I've done photography for brands uh, in the past. Um, so I, you know, I show some of my work through that and I, I got some work through Instagram actually for that, uh, which made me go, oh, okay, like this is, this is worthwhile, uh, you know, and just posting collector shots and stuff. And then I got, you know, fortunate that I got to be able to do some collaborations and it was a great platform to kind of connect with the community and like, you know, show off this work that I was very proud of. Uh, I got to do um, uh, a collaboration with uh, Seals Watches. was the first one that I completed, but it took a while to get produced uh, because it's a smaller brand. The first one that came out that, that I'm kind of, I guess, known for in, in some regard, which is still pretty obscure. So <laughs> I'm not trying to sound, you know, big myself up here, which is the Laco uh, Radox, which I would just, for people who do have the, the screen, it's this one here, nice. uh, which was the watch designed to look like it came from the Fallout universe. Um, and, um, you know, it was a place for me to showcase that and showcase the photography and that. And then that led to the, you know, having more serious conversations with people like, you know, Emmanuel Dietrich. I was able to work with him. I did a collaboration with him. And there's other things that have come out of it, um, you know, and then some things I'll get come back to, but there's more, more collaborations coming in the future. Um, and then, yeah, I had this idea. Um, what, to be fair, it wasn't quite my idea, but I recently started the series that I'm really excited to do. And I want to continue. I'm trying to do three to four of these 
a month. And it's a series I'm calling Refining Time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at, uh, I think it was a Vacheron Constantine event here in Toronto. And uh, it was sponsored by Watchtime Magazine. And Roger Ruger was there. I don't know if I'm butchering his name or not, but he, you know, we were just talking about watches and design. And, and uh, I you know, can't remember how that conversation started, but eventually it led to me griping a little bit about things that irritated me about the design of watches. Mm-hmm. Or he said, oh, maybe you should make like a little series, you know, write, write a blog or something, maybe, you know, maybe call there, I fixed it. Something to that, that degree. I said, yeah, that is a good idea. I just kind of tucked it inside. And then, you know, in the last, you know, I guess it'd be about a month ago, mm-hmm. I really started to be like, no, I, I, ha- I have to do this. Like this has been sitting, eating away at me. And I keep seeing things in the, you know, watch industry in terms of design that irritate me. And I just need an outlet to get it out there. So the idea of the series, uh, sorry for the long, prolonged intro there. <laughs> the idea with the series, I'll get to the answer now, uh, is, is, uh, I take a watch that is known uh, and, and, and hopefully more popular, and I fix what I think is incorrect with it. So I'll, first, I'll point out most of the, the things. I've only got 10 slides on Instagram to do it in, so I don't get to mention all the things I correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, I did the uh, Breitling Aerospace Evo mm-hmm. was one of the posts I've, I've done so far. And, you know, I really like there's one from like the early 2000s. It's a great example of what that watch could be. And they've kind of moved away mm-hmm. from that. And so I wanted to bring back a bit of that spirit, but like bring it up to date, make it feel modern. And there are some things with the new case that I quite liked. So it's the idea of trying to take the brief that I imagine that, or the, or the goal that Breitling was trying to achieve with the aerospace Evo, pointing out what I think is wrong and then correcting it in, mm-hmm. within 10 slides. And, and it's been going well, you know, I've been getting a lot of feedback uh, you know, like a DMs, I get a lot of comments and I've even gotten some, a little bit of work out of it. So it's, it's good. Like, I just, I feel like people, like, as I said, I look at things a little differently as a designer. And I think there's a lot of things that are kind of lacking, especially, you know, I'd say since the two thousands, when de- desktop publishing became a lot more accessible for most people. Um, I see a lot of kind of, especially in the realms of typography, a lot of typographic crimes being committed or, or shortcuts being taken that just drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think I mentioned to you in, in our chat before, like sometimes I get a couple, I've, I've had some comments or DMs where people say like, oh, do watches from the thirties, like pick this. And I say, yeah, but they don't have the same issues that modern watches have because they're really clean and they're really tight. And a lot of those numerals were rendered by hand if you go back far enough. So it's, they only did have like one style through the whole thing and everything's done very well. It's only once, you know, you get to, everyone can download Adobe Illustrator that, you know, you see this, I see this all the time, it drives me crazy. You'll have a date window at six o'clock and it's kind of narrow. And you get to, you know, if you have a number two, it fits right nicely in that window, right? If you say select universe, is a typeface I see on a lot of date windows. So you select universe, okay, number two, it fits. Then you get to the number 24 and it's too wide for the date window. There's not enough space there because it's a fixed width. So what they do is they just take the anchors on each side of it and they go, and they squeeze it in to fit, which throws off the stroke weight. So now the, the vertical, uh, the, the weight from top to bottom on the stroke is thicker than the left to right. And typefaces have been carefully designed so that our eyes can see them as balanced and that stroke will look even. But when you squish it, the, the term is bastardizing. When you bastardize the type like that, it, it just looks terrible. 
And the other thing too that blows my mind is you can get universe condensed. Like that's a typeface I have in my dropdown menu. And all of a sudden the two and the four would fit. And it's a cut made for where you don't have that space. But I don't see people using it. I see people just mashing that type in there all the time. So there's things like that where I feel like, you know, yes, it drives me nuts, but I feel like people should expect those things to be a little better mm -hmm. and, and should expect that, that, you know, especially like you're buying a watch for thousands of dollars, that these things should be, you know, appropriate. The, the first one I did was a watch that, that drove me nuts. Um, it's a, a Van Cleef and Arpels. It's the, uh, it's called the, uh, oh, it's, it's a French name. Um, it's the, I'm going to butcher this. So my apologies, I'll do my best, but it's the which is the time here and the time elsewhere or something like that. And it's a two time zone kind of jumping hour with a retrograde minute. Mm -hmm. And um, the, there's so many problems with this thing. I don't even know where to begin, but like the one thing that really stuck out to me is the typeface they use. I have the name of the watch on the dial and they're using a typeface called monotype Corsiva, which is the kind of the free fancy script typeface that comes with Microsoft Office since mm -hmm. like 94 or something. Is it the worst typeface in the world? No. <clears throat> Does it belong on your watch dial to say what the, no, it just doesn't. It's a monotype fixed width typeface. It, it, it just, it doesn't suit the piece. But the thing that even just took that for me and just bumped it over the line to make me crazy. And there's other things that really irritate me and people can look up the post and <laughs> where I point out some of this, but th there's on, on like the word like the EC or the allier in French, you have to have an apostrophe between the D to say the, the word. And they used, if you were in Adobe Illustrator, um, especially an older version and you start typing, um, instead of getting um, an apostrophe, when you hit the apostrophe button, you get a prime mark because Adobe Illustrator is primarily set up to do plans, right? Like I'm drawing a, a box. Mm -hmm. I would say this is 20 inches wide by two and a half feet tall. Well, that's what the prime marks are for. So by default, the, the kind of, you know, hot key to, to make an apostrophe go to a prime mark is just always pre-pressed down. So you have to go into the menu and change that to get the, but this thing has prime marks on it. The, the, they're not even apostrophes. And this watch is, I think I put it in the post, it's $25,700. And that's the level of attention that they're putting on the dial. It's just dry, it's mind boggling. It's, it, I, I can't, mm. can't sleep at night. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, those are the sort of things that I suppose the average consumer isn't even going to be aware of or these considerations. Like, I don't really think people take a, take the time to stop and think like every facet of the watch that's on your wrist was an intentional keystroke, an intentional stroke of a pen. It was something that somebody intentionally did to add to that watch and things like font type, um, things like uh, aesthetics and balancing of dials, like that's something that someone had to actually put time, effort, and thought into. And then you, you especially when you have the the keen eye of a designer, and you're like, you know, you can tell where the corners have been cut. You can tell where other people are cutting corners. I can see why that'd be incredibly frustrating for you. I mean, even you, you bring up a valid point. I mean, hearing things about like uh, like the issues with the um, the the date the date 
windows and things yep. like using prime marks instead of apostrophes on $25,000 watches. Like once that's been pointed out to you, I don't know if that's something you can ever unsee on your watch as well too. Right. Even, even as like a normal consumer, because if someone was like, Hey, just so you know, like that would drive me insane. And I, I would wonder almost if the, uh, the brands themselves, how they would feel having that pointed out to them. Cause maybe, you know, the designer might know about it or is aware that that happened, but I can't imagine like, the CEOs and presidents and the people up the chain would be happy to know that those kinds of mistakes are being made on their like multi-thousand dollar pieces that they're putting out for people. I, I, I really, I don't know how they, these things get out there, you know, mm -hmm. like, and there's other issues on that watch and I only did the face and there's stuff on the case back. And I like, when I put that post up just to keep it to the Van Cleef for a second is like, I had someone said, Oh man, you must really hate this watch. That's one of the comments I got. And I said, no, I, I, I love watches. I'm doing this because I love watches. Mm -hmm. And, the movement that's in that Van Cleef and Arpels, if you look at the back, it is gorgeous. It has been decorated. It's so, it, it, and then you see the face of this thing. And even like, there's other things with like the hand is just not, you know, yeah, the, there's corners cut and you just go, it, this could have been so much more, but I, I don't know what it is. If it's just, they're trying to keep with the, like the fashion cycle and have releases and they, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And not everyone like, and here's the other thing is like, now, you know, like, and this is with graphic design in general, like I'll get people who come to me and go like, Hey man, can you, can you design me a website? Say so I can do the design, but I need to work with the developer. Mm -hmm. So why can't you develop the websites? Well, that's a developer's job. Like I, I, I can't know everything. And like mm -hmm. my brother is more specialized. He's a designer also. Uh, my stepbrother, Pat, he, he, he like, you know, he knows coding. And, and design a bit more, right? But he doesn't like talk about watches and some of these other things he wouldn't, he wouldn't know. <laughs> and, and you can only pick so many things at a time to do. And I don't pretend that I like, you know, I'm sure I can like fudge my way through making a website go live, but it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be great. You know, mm -hmm. I work with developers who are really good at what they do and they can work with me and they, they take their specialty and make the website work in a way that I wouldn't have imagined, you know, in the user experience and how windows pop up and how you transition. And they might say to me, can you move this a little bit? You know, I like this button in the typeface you've picked, but you got to move it a little bit. And same thing goes for like, you know, watches. It's like, you know, when someone comes to me and says, okay, do a website. Well, why can't you do the design as well as the coding? I think, you know, there are a lot of people that will just do it. They will just go in. And I think it's kind of, this happens everywhere, right? It's happening on watches as well. Maybe, maybe the person who's like, you know, an industrial designer who does the forms and the shape and kind of figures that out, you know, and then they go, oh, can we hire a typographer? And maybe somebody says, no, I don't want to spend any more money. You do the type. You're a designer, aren't you? Mm. Like I hear a lot of that happening. Like, you know, when I've worked on other corporate design projects, you know, you're a designer, aren't you? Like some specialty item comes up and I'm trying to explain like, yes, I am, but I don't, like that's its own discipline. Like there are mm. people that just do that. You know, there are people that just make typefaces, nothing else. They don't do anything else. And they're amazing at it. It's like, <laughs> it's like driving your Ferrari to the Ford dealership and going like, well, you're a mechanic, fix my car. Right. It's like, you can't yeah. do the same thing. Right. It's not, it's there's, there's people that specialize specifically in certain types of uh, the general practice of design. Like there's again, typographers and people who design specifically things like in a watch like movements, there's people who design dials and they all kind of have to come together. And I guess like specifically with that Van Cleef, like it almost sounds like maybe the movement was the primary focus. And something you see with the Swiss in particular is the incredible attention to detail on things like, you know, like they'll put the attention to detail into like putting a mere polish on the beveling of a movement 
But then it seems like sometimes on something like that, the dial's the afterthought. And it's like, well, it's great that you put all this effort into the movement, but the dial is the part I look at all day. Yeah, right? the finishing is important too, right? And, and it's like this, it's like with the watch, you know, it's all these little details and they add mm -hmm. up. And if you have every little, like, you know, um, uh, Ferdinand Bertut is a brand that comes to mind mm -hmm. um, with their kind of like, uh, what do you call them? They have like the regulator style dial where everything's broken up, you know, very much looks like a ship's chronometer. And they have their own typeface. That's like, there's a historic reason why they use it. And they use it consistently on everything. So there's like one style of type and, and, and it's, and it's done with a lot of thought mm -hmm. and any gripes I could like, there's things I could, ah, oh, maybe, you know, there's very small details I found once in a while. I'm like, well, maybe you got, I would have done that a bit different, but no, I would say there's no crimes against typography being committed mm -hmm. here. It's, they're beautiful. They're done really well. The attention to detail is great. And the finishing is, is also great. And all these things add up to like a really great piece, but then, you know, you can get, um, one of the pieces that's in my sites, and I'm bad with reference numbers here. Um, oh, I'm going to see if I can remember. There, there is a Patek World Timer mm. that has, again, I think it's monotype Corsiva on the dial, and and it's squished, and it's all bunched in there, and it's all caps, which are also makes it impossible to read. Like every character is like a swash-filled decorative character. Like, and, and all the different time zones are written out like that. And then it's tiny on a watch dial. And what it ends up looking like is just, just a, you know, a dog's breakfast. It is terrible. A bowl it of spaghetti really... thrown on the dial. Yeah. And the finishing, you know, and the movement in the back and all these other things is superb. But mm. when you add that, when you don't follow through on every detail, then, then you're not following through on every detail. Right. Mm. And, and, you know, I brought that up, uh, to another enthusiast and I've had people go, well, who the hell are you to say, you know, you know, they're, they're so much more prestigious than you. And I said, yeah, but it's, you can see though, right? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> you can see that they're, they're fleecing you a little bit here on the design. Like they're not trying. And you have, you have eyes, right? Like not, yeah. not everything's a home run, right? Like you gotta, you can appreciate that just because it came from that big name. Does not mean that it's the same quality as everything they've ever put out? Right. So that's I, can right. I can get that. Hmm. So can yeah. you kind of expand on the ones that you're able to, or you can you kind of expand on, I guess, some of the projects that you specifically have worked on? Yeah. Uh, so um, and I have pieces here. So let me just see. Yeah. So like the first one that I mentioned uh, was, uh, was this one. Oh, this is the prototype, but it was um, this one for seals mm. uh, watches micro brand out of California. Uh, I had met Michael uh, when I was writing for a blog to watch. I wanted to, um, review the original. So they, I got the original one here too, which there, there's, it's the same case essentially for, for both of these. And he wanted to do something like we had a discussions about things we liked and these wild watches from the seventies, you know, that are like kind of over the top and they have lots of colors and things. He said, I want to do that. And so, you know, that was the first real time I got let into a watch to, to design. And so I ended up designing a few variants and he produced three of them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so like there's this, uh, if you, if you can't, one's kind of got like a roulette 24 hour, uh, kind of poor man's GMT nice. on the in interior bezel. And the other one's got this green color, which is the brightest green you can achieve. So it's a special pigment. Um, and if you see it in person, you would really get it. Like it's, I don't know if it's on screen, it's going to translate it under looks the pretty, looks pretty bright. So. <laughs> it's very bright. It's the most neon neon. And if you take this 
swatch like when we had this color and i was like no like the manufacturer has to make this and like i have the swatch in my office when they sent it back for testing and you can put it against like a neon swatch from like a pantone color book and it's like way brighter it's amazing it really makes me happy especially under the daylight when it bounces those uvs back in your eyeballs boom it explodes mm-hmm. and then we did a black version which we came out a bit later where it was a michael knight so it's a subdued version um they're, they're quite wild uh, but that was that was one project that I got to do. Uh, another one was, um, as mentioned, was uh, working with uh, Emmanuel Dietrich, who's a designer I, I'm a big fan of. Um, I have other pieces of his, like I have his Organic Time, uh, which is one of the first designs he was really known for. It's got a Miyota. It was the first time I saw a watch where I was like, man, that looks like kind of like Haute Horology, but it was mm-hmm. affordable. Like mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I don't know, I can't remember the price, like 800 bucks or something at the time. And... Um, I ended up getting this one later on after seeing it again at a, at a show. I couldn't, like, I couldn't not have it. Well, I got the bronze organic time five, but it was just really cool what he was doing and how he was like, you know, he's one of the early micro brands that really stuck out. Um, and so we worked together and I bought, I bought this other one again, just it's called the, the uh, time companion. So this is the original one. And I pre-ordered when it came out. So again, I, this is more just the dial I got to do with Emmanuel, but it's, it's, he's a designer I love. And he's a great guy and we love talking shop. And um, so he got me involved and we did this pair here, which is uh, a black, uh, all black and kind of all steel version of the time container. So very minimalist. And um, yeah, it was a great project. Like I remember with that one too, the first few times, cause I, I'm an admirer of his work. I tried to kind of emulate him. And then he had to kind of pull me aside and be like, no, 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 do you, you know? And he pulled some of the things that I've done but the logo for my website was one of the things for sentient creative. It's like, look how simple that is. Like, do, do that. Like, I want you to take, like, he's like, I do all the bits and bobs. I want you to do the opposite. Do you, don't try to do me. And so I just stripped everything out and made this sterile dial. So there's no logo on the deck because I like sterile dials. And I presented that to him and he was like, that's it. That's great. So that was a really fun project to be involved in. Another one that I mentioned was, um, the Laco Radox. I don't have the box here, but this comes with a, a box that, I mean, I know you can't wear the box, but it's the idea was to make this whole thing feel like an item you'd find in game. So like the box is all rusted and it comes with Polaroids inside of it. And actually there are little Easter eggs in there where you could figure out the story and how it relates to the war, the lore of this world mm. of, 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 uh, of Fallout um, and how that, how it would exist in that reality. Um, yeah, I won't go too into too much detail because there's a lot of details, but this was a, this is the one where, and I've said this before, but I still kind of can't believe they let me do this because it's a niche within a niche, within a niche, I feel, to, to do this project. But we pitched it to them with a blog to watch. Um, and actually, Ariel Adams gave me the idea to focus on Fallout uh, for that piece. But yeah, I, I remember taking that away. I did the pitch. Um, and it took me quite a while to come up with the full pitch to like sell the idea mm-hmm. in. And then it was just a breakneck speed to get like all the components ready for, cause they were like, I want to show this at the windup coming up in, in like a few months. So I had like a month and a bit to get all the box, the strap and everything. They worked on the watch head and all those details, taking it from my artwork. And I had to do the strap, the box, all the peripherals. And we met up in New York and they had the watch and I had the strap in the box and we put it together and put it out for display. It was, it was super rewarding. And, um, and then I have, I, I can't say what it is yet, but I'm doing, um, 
the next the next one is going to be for these guys here and this ah, is arrow. very cool yes so this will be yeah i'm not allowed to say much about it i can say i'm <clears> working <throat> with them and i can i will say it's it's, 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 a, it's quite an involved project in terms of design it's more than just doing a dial or something this is this is, is a bigger bigger project and it's a little it's a little wild i found that people reach out to me when they have crazy ideas <laughs> that's kind of like how i've been brought in um which is which is fun so it's a bit of a crazy idea that's and, awesome uh, i'm very excited for that I'm, we're hoping it we were hoping it would have been out already but um yeah things things take time to do correctly so oh, it's probably cool. gonna come out in the fall Chris is an awesome guy, a good friend of the show and uh, a guest as well that we had on the show. And Vero does some really cool stuff. So I'm, it's cool to see the two of you working together to come up with something really special. So I'm really, really excited to see whatever that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure to work with, by the way. It's been great. So Absolutely. Yeah. Terrific, terrific guy. Um, so in, in regards to your, I guess, your own style of design, like you've sort of given us some insight into some of the things you have designed but like how would you describe your design what is your inspiration for design and i guess what sort of um, factors do you consider when you specifically are designing watches yeah and and so it, it depends on the like i guess the brief that i'm given you know mm. anyone who's a who's a designer will tell you the hardest thing to have happen is if someone comes to me and says do whatever you want I, I, I get, you get paralyzed by choice because my brain is just churn, like I get a million images in my head a day of like ideas. And like, if you just say, do whatever you want, they all just cram together. Mm -hmm. It's like, remember in the Simpsons with Mr. Burns and he had every disease and they take all the little stuffies and they're like, look, they can't all get through the door at once. It's like that. <laughs> so many ideas. You're, you're just paralyzed. You're stuck. Nothing gets through the door. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I like to have a target laid out for me. So like with Michael, he said, I want something that's like wild in like the seventies with Emmanuel, you know, he sat me down and said, do something minimal, do something that I wouldn't do, you know, do this with the fallout watch. It was more about the brief. Uh, I was inspired by this artist. I should mention, uh, Iris Hausler who does mm -hmm. these installations. Um, what's that art festival that we have in the city here? I, oh, I can't remember the name where you walk the streets and it's, it's, uh, Nuit Blanche, Nuit Blanche. I don't know if okay. you've ever been to a Nuit Blanche. No. <laughs> it's an incredible event. If, if anyone lives in Toronto and when stuff happens again, I would recommend going to Nuit Blanche because I saw this incredible installation. It was in a parking garage. It was supposed to be the end of the world. And there was all these different installations in this parking garage, but the one that just exploded out at me was Iris Hausler, who does these art pieces you can like literally walk into and like touch things and she'll make a story a narrative told in objects so sometimes she'll like make like a like a whole room with like dirty chairs and bits and there's artifacts laying around and some of the artifacts will be maybe presented like in a display case like someone came there and said oh this is important and dusted it off and put them out there so it's like you're walking through this exhibit and you can figure out the story of what that room was for and so this one was like a trailer that looked like a doomsday prepper trailer mm. sort of and there was a story to figure out and you could figure out and i stayed at this exhibit for quite some time because it really for one i thought I, I had to leave and google i was like was that real was that based on something real like that's how immersive her art was hmm. and i thought you know the, the takeaway from that being that objects can tell a story and we all know watches have stories connected to them so that was with the radox i, I wanted to bring in that story from the lore of fallout so i had that was my objective um, 
so I guess, you know, it, it is really determined by what, what my goal is, but the process for me is always like, doesn't matter what is the first thing is research. You know, it, it, I don't know if people who aren't designers know how much time goes into researching anything before you do it. It's because it, it's, it's a crazy amount, you know, those refining time posts. The first one took me a long time because I had to come up with a format and everything. I had, had to figure everything out, but the other subsequent posts, they take 12 hours to do. And I've told that to some people and they go, what, what you mean? it's just one watch. And I have to work really quickly too. It's a 12 hours after having, you know, I've been doing this for over 15 years. I don't want to count too accurately because I might get sad, but <laughs> so I've been doing this for a while and I, I'm, I work pretty smart and pretty efficiently. And uh, a lot of that time is researching what decisions to make. You know, I need to look at, you know, I just did the Rolex Air King was my last post. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at, you know, what's the history of the Rolex Air King? Where did it come from? Why does it exist? What were they trying to do with this piece, right? And figure out that brief and reverse engineer and get examples and look at the type and look at how the brand has evolved over time. Do I want to bring it back to a certain era? What can I do? What would be fitting within this world of, of, of the brand, right? So that's the first thing I do with any project. It's a lot of research. Uh, again, I'll use the Radox as a real project. That was like hundreds of hours of research probably. Mm. It, was, it was a long time to really understand how much detail goes into the Fallout universe and what I could do. Um, and you don't see a lot of it. Like a lot of people will just grab this box and they go, oh, cool, looks like an apocalyptic thing. And there is a story there if you want to figure it out. But I don't even care if you figure it out. I just know I couldn't have gotten to that level of detail and realism if I didn't do that research. So that's mm. number one. Number two, then you start to like sketch things out. You know, actually I have my sketch pad right here. Like I keep it like right with me <laughs> a lot of the time. And uh, cause you never know when something's gonna strike you, you know, job you're working on. So I have that right here. Uh, you sketch some of it out, you bring some of it in the computer and then you just play around, you know, and, and you have iterations. And I like to step back for a while. You know, after I think I've got something, I'll leave my, I'll leave the job alone for like a good few days or a week if I can, and then come back to it. And then it's like fresh eyes and you, you know, you get so deep into the problem sometime and you're really focused on balancing one portion that, you know, uh, I can't say the specifics, but the Vero project I was working on, there was, it was tricky to balance some of the, the elements here and I was working on it. And I, when I left it and came back a week later, I was like, how did I not see some of these errors? Like what? How did I, but I was so focused on another portion of the design that it just, you, you go, you go numb to it, right? You get so deep in it. So yeah. And then, and then, you know, obviously with the projects I've done, they've all been collaborations. Uh, so, you know, I have to present my logic to somebody and, and hope that's understandable. And I try to do it in a way where, you know, as much as there's like a, it's not, it's, I, don't, I don't try to sell people on my ideas. I want to like, I should be able to show you the thing and you get it, you get it enough. Like you get the feeling from it mm. without me telling you. Cause sometimes I, when I was early, when I first went on my own and I was, you know, actually even before that, when I first got to like the position of art director and I got to like speak up and say things at the studio I was working at the time, you know, I, I'd realized I was really trying to sell people my ideas. I was, wasn't letting the idea speak for itself and maybe some of those ideas weren't as strong as ideas i would come up with now so i really felt it, it just you know and even if the idea is good you sell them on it but then you might also make them blind to a shortcoming and the idea is i want to show it to whoever i'm working with 
and they'll be able to spot something that I missed and we can make it better. That's the thing. I want to make the best version of whatever it is you're trying to produce. You know, if it's a classic watch, if it's a crazy watch, um, you know, it's got to be the best version and tell that story as clearly as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's really my process. So it's, it's why I don't have, like, I guess another comment I get a lot is why not start your own watch brand? And I said, like, what would I do? Like I have so many, I've had so many ideas and I don't, I don't know which one to pursue. Like not one of them, like maybe one day one is really going to take traction and something will happen and I'll go, yeah, I have to do that. Um, but nothing like that has happened so far. And so I guess like, who would you say uh, just in your own style of design that you have? Cause I mean, every artist still has their own style that is unique to them, regardless of sort of whatever briefing or objective they're given, I guess, who are some of the influences on your style of design? Uh, yeah, that's, um, I think I take influence from a lot of, a lot of places. Uh, you know, I still would consider, I mentioned it before, Puss had an influence, um, I don't know. There was just a feeling I got looking at his work, which is outside of anything technical I can express. I don't know. There's just like a feeling of everything looking a certain way. And it just feels harmonious to me, even though they're like, you know, skeleton skateboarding. It was (laughs) his artwork, but it was like, there's something to him and then his use of color and stuff that that is just always stuck with me. Mm. So I think, you know, I like to, if, if I can, I like to use color. I think color is important and it doesn't mean it has to be a bright color, but I think, using color and material to, as part of the dialogue to express something is important to me, even if it's like a printed object. Um, you know, I, t- I take inspiration, like Paul Rand is, is you know, he's kind of like the designer every, I don't know a designer who goes, Paul Rand is crap. Like <laughs> if you've ever heard anyone say that, be dubious of him. Paul Rand is great, you know, like he, he's, he's just an icon. And I've read his, you know, I have, he has written some books on design, which I've consumed all of them. And yeah, like you read his book as a designer and you're like, yeah, this is right on. So really uh, not a designer, but Keith Haring again for like the idea of having a feeling like everything he does has a good vibe to it. Even when he's like, you know, he has some really dark artwork. If you really look into his catalog, you know, especially when, you know, he's diagnosed with AIDS and stuff, there's some really sad pieces in there. Um, but there's still like an air of positivity to them which in some ways is a weird juxtaposition and it even makes it more uncomfortable for the viewer but that is the point like he's able to get you know you look at his work if as you know and just go oh it's a bunch of stick figures who cares but i remember in the 90s going to his gallery show and it stuck with like i remember being in gym class i think it was like the next day or like the following monday after the weekend my auntie who's really cool took me to see keith herring's exhibit and uh, maybe i was like still in grade school so 12 years old or something and uh, I remember just being in gym class and just sitting on the bench and like I didn't I was just I was just thinking about it because it was just so powerful and the feelings that I felt and even the way that 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 exhibit was curated the the order that you saw things in whoever curated that I've actually thought of this I was like I'd love to find who curated it was in Toronto at the AGO and um, Derek Keller of Ontario and they had this that the last painting, it wasn't even the last painting he did, but it was one where he had kind of, I guess, realized, you know, HIV is going to take his life. And so he intentionally didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. And the way this whole, you know, you went through this thing and you kind of grew up with Keith Haring and all the sketchbooks. You see him like, you know, um, exploring his sexuality as, as a young gay man and doing all this stuff. And then it goes into these other rooms where his like early works come. And I don't think it was chronological, like it was a while ago, but you really feel like by the end of this exhibit, 
you really felt like you knew him. You were invested in him even more. And I didn't know that he had passed away. I was, you know, I was a kid. I liked his art. I didn't know he was, he was, he had died yet. Or I don't think, and then leaving it on that painting just was like, bam, you know, I felt that for days after. And I just, again, it's like objects telling a story, you know, and I think whether you or not, you put the, the, the work into it. And we were talking before this about some of the things that drive me nuts about watches and details, but again, like all those details add up and you can tell a story, even if the story is just look how refined this thing is, you know? mm. but then you got to do all the work. It's got to be there. So I, I can't do anything half-ass because of people like Keith Haring and, and, and Paul, people who really got into the details, like those are the things. And then the other one who's a big inspiration to me is not a designer is, uh, is actually a physicist is Richard Feynman. Mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> he was a physicist who, um, what is it? Quantum thermodynamics was his big thing. Now I'm not a, physicist or a scientist i can appreciate on a very you know surface level you know i understand that but the thing that i liked about him is he could take a very complex i had these diagrams he used to draw to show how certain kind of quantum structures work and he could boil it down to a sketch and you kind of can't solve these kinds of complex problems without his sketches but i always thought like that is amazing like you and if and he did these lectures that are kind of famous where you can listen to him and he'll he'll describe really really in-depth things actually he's got a book that's probably better it's called um i think it's called 12 easy pieces and it's 12 things about quantum physics and physics in general that if all society was destroyed if everyone knew these 12 things we could find our way back real quickly and these thought they're like they're the key things and they're very complex minutiae about how the world works but he describes it in a way that makes it so palatable and even though he's not a designer the idea that he can take something that complex and translate it down to something that's consumable by a moron like me, <laughs> essentially, is, is important. So I think, and I, it's hard, like, you don't want to get too up in, up in your head as a designer. So I think he's an inspiration to me because it reminds me to keep it grounded. And I, I know that the, the Radox is pushing it out into a little bit of an atmosphere where I, I noticed like, okay, I had to kind of get heady and, but I don't expect anyone to figure that out. It's, mm -hmm. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's an apocalyptic watch. It's the end. That's all you need to know to enjoy it. And, but if I made it too complicated where you had to understand all the lore from fallout to get it, then it mm -hmm. wouldn't be fun for anybody. So that that's, it's kind of a mixed bag of inspiration, but mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but those are the people that always kind of float to the top for me. So now that we've kind of gotten some, I guess, insight into um, what drives you, some of the projects you've worked on and kind of, um, you know, your history with the watch industry and design in general, can you kind of just take a moment for some self-promotion and uh, tell us about Sentient Creative? Oh, yes. Well, Sentient Creative, that's, I founded, it's my design studio out here. It's, it's small. Um, you know, I, I, well, especially now I've been running it from my house. I have an office here that's like separate from the house, <laughs> uh, like my little studio. And uh, yeah, it's, it's small. It's me and one other designer full time. And then I have like kind of like a group of people that I pull from when I need them because I don't always need, say, a developer or an animator or some other resource. But I have other people I know are freelancers and we all just kind of stick together and work together and we help each other out for, for free a lot, you know, and help give each other advice. Um, yeah, the idea was just to be, 
to make something where, you know, I, I'll do, I do graphic design there. I do logos and branding, um, you know, so coming up with the, the feeling. Uh, I got to work with the Tragically Hip. That was a big project for me. Uh, they, they got into the cannabis market. Uh, and so I ended up branding uh, their, their properties called Up Cannabis. That was a job I was really proud to do. Um, I've got to do, you know, I do a lot of stuff for the telcos out here. I do a lot of retail design. So it's, this was, we're talking like corporate design is really the focus of Sentient. I also have the watch stuff that I've been doing. And I'm starting to populate that onto the site because I'm realizing now, like, you know, when I first left my good, secure, paying job, you know, I was creative director, still advice, a baby on the way, and I quit. I just didn't want to be in an agency. I wanted to do my own thing. There was a lot of reasons why. And I realized if I didn't do it before my baby came, I was never going to do it. I'd be stuck and I'd regret it. So I, I went and I, you know, went on my own. And the first contract I won was from Rogers, which is Canadian telco. So it's not, we, we did a cool campaign for them and I was really proud of that. And uh, yeah, but it also gave me more time on the side to like focus a bit more on watches and focus a bit more. So I'm slowly folding that in. And, and some of the brands, like I've worked with Talker as a brand. Uh, I helped them relaunch. Uh, so they're from Austin, Texas. They did this watch, it was D-Day a couple days ago. And they did this piece here, uh, which is the, it's got a, the dial is cut from an aircraft uh, that's called That's All Brother, which on the D-Day invasion proper, when everyone was coming in all at once, that was the plane at the tip of the formation. And I had some like radar system that I don't think ended up working, but they were at the tip of the formation. And in some of the reels at the time, you know, the, basically the propaganda war reels, they show that plane and on the nose, the nose cone, they had ripped, uh, sorry, they had scribed uh, That's All Brother as a message to Hitler, you know, this is it, we're coming mm. for it, it's, it's done. And as we know, D-Day turned the tides for everyone. D-Day is mm -hmm. a very important time to recognize the sacrifices people made. So th they have a piece of that watch uh, playing in the dial. I'm kind of getting away from my, <laughs> my studio, but I got to do the, I did the copywriting for the press kit for that and some of the graphic design. I did, I think they did the, the, the manual, the chips with it. So other things like that. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm open to designing anything for anyone. I love doing logos. I love doing branding. That's kind of like my, my core where I really started to, to take off in, in terms of the, the corporate world. Um, but yeah, like watches are just, as we've discussed, just my, that's my key passion. So I'd rather do design. I'd rather have Sentient do more watch-based stuff. And it's starting to happen. It's starting mm -hmm. to happen. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, me and this uh, designer named Sean, and she's great. And we're both really dedicated and, and, you know, we've pulled, even though it's just two people, you know, you can do a lot with a couple of people if you're dedicated mm -hmm. and if you can work smart and mm -hmm. Sean works smart, I know I can do it. So we've done, you know, some of the contracts we've won when we've gone in to pitch them, we'd be going up, it'd be me and two other people in a, you know, and we leave the briefing room or the boardroom after we've given our pitch and then the next agency's coming and they got 12 people with them. <laughs> you know, and that's the world I was, I used to work there. Right. And I used to go with had all, all these different people, but you know, I guess my view is you don't need all that. You need, you need vision. And it's mm -hmm. a bit of an old school mentality that I like to keep in, in my work for sentient creative, you know, as I mentioned, Paul Rand, um, and he was really big on understanding the brief and trying to hit a goal and having a vision. Whereas now, uh, and this is another thing that's becoming a little more prevalent in my work as a designer, but because we have so much access to data, I think some people only make decisions based on that or and not that it's not important, 
but you need to have a vision. Mm -hmm. The data can't tell you every decision you should make. You know, mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to go against it. You got to understand what the information is, and then, then you can bend the rules to mm -hmm. do something unique. So that, that's what we like to do. And, and that's, that's my little plug. <laughs> awesome. And so where can people get in touch with uh, Sentient Creative? I have a website, sentientcreative.ca. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you could, you could contact me through that. My contact is at the bottom of the page. Also I'm on Instagram at teenage.grandpa. And weirdly, that is how a lot of people reach out to me is through Instagram, uh, not through LinkedIn either through Instagram. And I have a sentient creative, um, uh, account as well. And, um, yeah, it's at, uh, yeah, it's just at sentient creative one word, um, you know, and then, I'm just happy to, uh, you know, hear from anybody. If anyone wants something designed, reach out. I'd, I'd be happy to hear from anybody to, uh, to help your vision become a reality. Hit them up, everybody. It's the right thing to do. Now, moving on from uh, all the design stuff and your work in design, I, I couldn't let you off the hook without getting into the collection talk now. So what what okay. what's in the collection? What, what I guess, uh, what do you have? What? have you picked up over time and what are the reasons for it? And is there anything with kind of uh, some unique stories behind them? I know there was last time I spoke to you, which was a few months ago, uh, you were on the quest for a very special Speedmaster um, that I, I've seen since that you have gotten your hands on. And yeah. uh, I, I'll let you kind of tell everyone and show everyone that's watching uh, kind of what you got there. Yeah. So this is a peculiar, like, I like peculiar stuff. <laughs> Just, uh, but this, this is the piece right here, which mm. is the Teutonic, Speedmaster. It was a Speedmaster. It's got the 861 hand wound, like professional movement in it. It's designed for the German market. And it's got this, what they call the smooth line case. Mm. Uh, this is, it's a very 80s design. Mm -hmm. um, but everything's kind of like, it's got an integrated bracelet and the whole case, like all the lines kind of converge in a very space age, 80s looking. Like it's one thing about that era of watches, the 70s and the 80s, like the quartz crisis was starting. I think it made some brands, Omega specifically, take some pretty daring risks. Mm -hmm. You know, that other Speedmaster I referenced earlier, also from, from around that era, 70s, late 70s. Um, yeah, I just like the space ages. I feel like that's like, you know, there was like this vision of the future that people had where it's like, we're going to have rocket cars and, and, and jetpacks and all this, you know, and, and homes will be these cool mid-century rectangles with bubble domes coming out of them and people had all this and it didn't happen we got you know my smartphones i guess is okay yeah. but but i want a jetpack and so like uh, collecting watches like this is kind of me as sort of having my my, <laughs> my jetson's car that <laughs> was promised as a child that i never got but yeah i, I love this thing. i wear it a lot um i try to wear it too much because it's got this like unique blasted finish on it that mm. seems a little delicate <laughs> but um yeah, this is a really cool watch. A lot of people know about it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely recommend checking these out. And that watch was a bit of a process to find as well, was it not? Like to really find the right one and to, uh, to find one also, I guess, at the right price. Like, I guess, is that sort of another one like your Jajaro Seiko there where a lot of people don't quite know what they have and you can get kind of quite a, a vast array of um, pricing differences and, and, and condition differences? Yes, yes. It's kind of, it's not, uh, yeah. Actually, it's, it's very comparable to that. You're, that's, it's, it was a very comparable search to that. And I had found one uh, and I lost out on the first one that I found 
because it was on uh, I can't remember what happened specifically but like you know when I'm going to go for a model I do a lot of research I have all the reference numbers I have a notepad on my phone on my computer with every little thing I need to remember to look for to check to make sure I'm not getting ripped off and uh yeah and there's a certain condition level that I, I wanted with this I wanted to still have things so I found it on um, a friend of mine helped me get it through one of the forums because uh, I'm not active enough on there but I just reached out I saw this one get posted on uh, watch recon and I went I gotta have that it was in the UK and uh, yeah, a friend of mine from Red Bar, Kevin, great guy, helped me get this deal done. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a bit of a bit of a search. They're not they're, there's not they're not plentiful, so it's also hard to find. I think they're a little more plentiful than the Jujaro. Um, another one that that uh, I got um, so something for a little bit different. Um, so this is one that I picked up a couple of years ago now. I have this, uh, it's a Gerard Perigo. Mm. Um, uh, I've, I've considered parting with it before, but I, I'm always on the fence about certain things. So I don't know. I feel like I'm going to just own everything forever. <laughs> uh, but it's the deep diver. So this is actually one of Gerard Perigo's first attempts at making a dive watch. This is the mm. first one. I can't remember the reference number off the top of my head now, but, but this is like, I saw... Oh, who was who was uh, uh, Justin Vrakis or Varkis? Like uh, on this is you know well connected watch dealer on Instagram post a very beautiful version of this, and actually the version that he posted ended up being purchased by Austin, who runs Talker, so he owns it now. Um, but this is a this watch. I mean, honestly, there's probably it was like a hundred, maybe to hundred and fifty of this variant made mm. in the fifties in 54 or 57 i can't remember the date right now but it's the first first dive watch i wouldn't take it in the water it doesn't have a bezel but this is the idea of like having big radium loom plots and stuff i was able to source this bezel for it so i also just liked it because again as a designer it's like this is kind of like a, a turning point in what people thought functionally watches could maybe do mm -hmm. and they were still figuring out what what should a dive watch look like so there's other dial variants of this that are quite different and you would look at them and say, that, that, that wouldn't work as a dive watch. But I guess if no one really tried it, like, how, how would you know? Mm -hmm. But this one is like, especially with the shark tooth dial, like, you know, mm -hmm. so like Seiko monsters have that same thing today, right? So I find that kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I got, um, let me see. Uh, another one that I was, I considered parting with this one too, but I don't think I'm ever going to do that. I think I have to stop thinking that. Uh, but this is one where I love the type on this watch. Uh, this is my, I have a Lemania 15 TL is what it's called. And this has got a gray dial. There's a lot of wear on it, which you won't be able to see here. If you, follow, if you go to my teenage.grandpa Instagram account, I take photos of this quite regularly. The dial is like, it's got a lot of imperfections and age. You know, there's the hands are kind of grotty. The dial's got a little bit of grit to it. Um, but there was something about that when I saw this. This is one of my first vintage pieces I picked up, actually. I just, I loved this. I just loved the, the look. There's something about this particular, sometimes the way a watch ages just does it for me. And, and the type on this, the numerals, like the two on the 12 and the seven and the, oh, the, this is like, this is great design on this watch. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot going on. It has the, 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 tachymeter, uh, the tachymeter scale around the outside. The type on this is just flawless. Like, mm -hmm. and this is this is a great example of how things used to be done. I think we 
can come back to this. You know, this is before desktop publishing, and it's so tightly designed. And is that um, uh, is that like a beads of rice, or is that a coffin bracelet on it? Oh yeah, it's a beads of rice. And actually, this nice. is I a, it's it's a gay frere style. It's not a real nice. one. It's uh, there's a Japanese dealer called uh, Private Eyes, and mm. they made this beads of rice. It was one of the first ones I saw them doing a really good reproduction. And so I picked one up, and it's great. It's legit. Nice. I really love it on this bracelet. And actually, the reason I almost got rid of this is for a watch that you brought up on when I was listening to you had Greg on. Mm. You were talking about flight masters. Yes. And oh, what happened yes. was I went, oh, I love the flight masters. Yes. And I started looking at flight masters and this one came up with this tropical dial that, like I said, it just aged in an exact way. Like I've seen plenty of tropical dial. Mm -hmm. This one in particular, the dial on this was just like, yes, that is perfect. The colors, mm -hmm. it was like all chocolate and it was beat up, but it looked so cool. And I know that I've had people interested in that. So I almost flipped it, but I always take a moment to let my excitement chill out because I get really excited. I'm probably anyone watching this can tell I'm excitable. Um, but yeah, I, I took, I had to take a moment and just kind of chill out, let me chill out. And I went to my thing, my process, and I wrote down the things I need to look for and like, you know, da, da, da. And unfortunately, when I went back to the listing of that watch, I found there were some issues that just didn't quite jive. So I ended up kind of just losing interest. But the dial was, if I ever see another one like that, I got, I'm just going to have to have it. I don't know. The Flightmaster is such an interesting watch. And like one of those watches that has such unique like, history behind it. And it's so, in my opinion, it's a super undervalued um watch on the market right now so you know yeah keep it undervalued until yeah, i get one yeah, exactly i need one first so exactly it but it's one of those ones where it's the same thing where i'm like it'll like get in your mind and you're like i gotta have one i gotta find one i'm on the quest to get one like i love those things and then you're kind of like eh, and then you forget about it and you go back to buying other things or finding other stuff and it's it's this one of those ones where we'll probably all be kicking ourselves for not getting one sooner when all of a sudden they're like 20 grand or something but yeah that's how i feel about there's another gerard perigo it's called the olympico Mm. Um, and there's a few Olympico chronographs. There's one that's in kind of like a barrel case, not, mm. not dissimilar from the like Mark II Speedmaster and Mark IV Speedmaster. Um, and then there's one that is it's more of a traditional case. And it's got this kind of like, like taupe, almost like purpley gray bezel that's mm. Bakelite and this gray dial. And oh my God, I wanted that thing so bad, but just funds. And the why, you know, something for me, like, you know, I've got, like, I can't just go do whatever I want all the time. I got kid, I got bills to pay. I got mm -hmm. stuff I got to do. So I got to be cognizant of what I'm doing with money. <laughs> and uh, I really wanted one. And then that's a watch when I remember I was showing to someone, I used to be able to pick one up for like, and like uh, under $3,000. Mm. And now I've seen them, they're like 20 grand because people, everyone went, look at how cool this thing is. Yeah. And it is cool. And then everyone, that now it's, and I guess there's not many of them either. So it's like, you know, it's, it's you, you, the stars have to align in a certain way. And this, the flight master is one where, yeah, I, I've never quite forgotten about it, but I'm just like, no, it's got to be, I'm looking for a specific thing, mm -hmm. um, which is one of my other favorite watches is my Royal Canadian Air Force single pusher chronograph. Very I've had cool. this for a long time. I got this from uh, Derek uh, Dyer mm. uh, from Watch. He's a Canadian watch dealer from um watches to buy he out actually outfitted the entire cast of Mad Men with their timepiece so he was the guy nice. who specced uh they have the the costume department person who said you know this person has to look like this and dress like this and he would make sure that they were wearing the correct correct timepieces 
So can he can he confirm then was Don Draper's Seamaster with the black crosshair dial? Was that a real Omega or was that a redial? I didn't know about that. I don't know. Because he has he had like a DeVille that had a black yeah. crosshair dial. And there's been people who sell them, but they're always redials to then they call them like the Don Draper or whatever, right? And that's always been the debate is like, was this a real DeVille that was made? Or was this was this a redial that was done specifically for the show because it was it just looked better on camera or something like that? If I you don't know, know, you know, he was he was on what's that thing that uh, oh god I always forget the clubhouse. He was on clubhouse earlier today talking about working on Mad Men actually, mm. and he was talking about there was like a Mary Kay pink dial mm -hmm. watch that I didn't watch the show, so I can't remember the the characters, but the the um, well, with the actress with the red hair, what's her name? Christina Hendricks character. Yes, yeah, yeah. She she had on a she had to have a very so he had to actually go down to the set and like paint the watch and dye the strap apparently like on location. So okay. it's not quite, but for the camera it looked right, and they had to get the I don't know what the color has to do with the story. I didn't follow the show, but they were like, no, production needs you to do it exactly like this. Hmm. So I know he had to do that for that case. I don't think he painted crosshairs on that. Uh, I don't know. That's that's interesting. But he he had this. This watch was something that I looked for for ages and had very specific requirements for this. I wanted a Rodania. So it was made by Lamania, Omega, Breitling. A mm -hmm. few, there's a Burks version of it. Um, but I wanted the Rodania one and I wanted it to be aged where the dial had a certain cream color to it and the patina was in a certain way. And also some of these were returned for surplus and then sold to surplus and they have an S stamped on the back. Okay, it's interesting. not stamped as an S. I wanted no S. On the back, I, it's just, and there's this certain. I won't take it the NATO off, but there's a engraving on the back of this one that is like uh, where it says Rodania RCAF, and it's very big. And I just liked it, so mm -hmm. I wanted that one. And it took me when I was becoming like starting to research vintage pieces. That was one of the first pieces I really responded with, and I think it took me five or six years. And and I was on his mailing list, and I had another deal fall through. And then I got on my mailing list, this thing came up and it was like, oh, Royal Canadian Air Force single pusher chronograph on Rodania in the 1960s. And I'm like, what is, is that it? And I had to chill out and take a second. And I took the post and I was active on the time at the military watch forum and I dropped it on there. I was like, is this legit? Like, is this, is this real? Cause I'm like tripping out. I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted, like mm -hmm. to a T. And uh, the guy, I can't remember his handle right now, but the guy who literally wrote the book on that watch responded to it and was like, yeah, that's, that's that's exactly what he said go get it and i did <laughs> and i it's probably the watch i wear the most actually out of anything i own um but yeah that's that's i haven't required you know the, kind of this and that Speedmaster where when the last while were, were watched then i bought i bought that vero open water actually i purchased that because i want to show my support and it's a you know it's a cool piece i like mm -hmm. the blasted flatness to it got a lot of the things i like in it. it's very simple i like mm -hmm. that um yeah but that flight master man you, you uh, because of you it's because of you sorry sorry <laughs> you know like I, now now I, i'm still looking i'm still looking i haven't quite given up on that i gotta oh. i gotta i gotta find one i'll give a very canadian sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that eh, bud? sorry bud oh. <laughs> <laughs> i know how it is man i know it's a, they're on my list too they're on my short list i, I have the because uh, the, the people who made the moon watch only book they made one for flight masters as well so it's a complete uh, it's a complete resource for uh, exclusively flight masters, and it's not as quite as thick as the Moonwatch book, but it's probably still about like I don't know an inch and a half thick, two inch thick book, and like that's 
if, if you're seriously looking for one and want a good resource for that, pick up that book. I think you can still get them on Amazon and things like that. That's an awesome, yeah. awesome book. It's called Flight Master Only. And it's a, it's a really, really I'll good book. For, awesome resource for that stuff. And if you, if you can't find one, I can probably just send you mine and you can borrow it for a while. So. Okay. Okay. If I, if I, if I can't find one, yeah, but I, I, I think I would like to have a, a resource like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I, I've seen those books with the, with the house still have one with the, uh, Oh, come on. What's the other one? Is it the, the, oh, it's got the broad arrow hands. It's the chronograph. Oh, the Nevada Grenshin. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, my, yeah, one of my friends has chrono master uh, only or something like that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Beautiful watch. I love the big pictures. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you can see all the details and it's mm-hmm. also nice just to see things that like most people wearing a watch, like I go and take macro shots to my dials from the time. Like most people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Most people don't, you know, like I have really bad eyes, but the thing that's great is if I take my glasses off, oh, this is just a digital watch, but I can get like, when I get about here, which is very close for people who aren't watching, like I can, now I can see my watch, but also it kind of magnifies a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have like built-in macro lenses, you know, like and I need these Coke bottles to see like a normal person. But like, I like to get right in there with, with things, but having a big print of a watch is just like, oh yeah, it really does help you see and appreciate like how, especially for vintage pieces, how much effort went into those. Well, and it's kind of cool to be able to like appreciate the details of a watch, even though it's not something you would see with the naked eye, like just knowing that it's there, it kind of, it kind of really helps you connect to the watch more knowing like, Hey, like there's this unique pattern or this unique type of typeface. You can, you can see, you can go and get close enough to the actual print to see like, Oh, like, you know, how perfectly printed was this on the dial is, are the edges bleeding out or something like that? Like to really get those really close details. It's really interesting. Something unique to definitely do. Yeah. It reminded me of the, I'll just talk one more piece. Like I have this as a Stoa sea time. Nice. Um, not a popular watch. Well, it's a like typical kind of skin diver looking watch. Mm-hmm. It's got a, uh, what's the movement inside? It's called a PUW1561. And it's kind of like, you know, East West German era diver watch. There's other variants of it. I really like this one. I kind of call this one, joke this way, but my poor man's Blancpain Barracuda. Like it's mm-hmm. got the red markers. <laughs> but one of the things that I like about this watch um, is there's a kind of an error on the dial, not an error, but the way they're produced, you can't really, you know, there's no way you'll be able to see it here, but there's like the outer ring is white with the, you know, the smaller markers for seconds, the inner part is black. But if you get in and you look at it really close, there's like this certain wavy wonkiness that you can see when you get in real close. It's just a, it's just an anomaly from how it was printed and manufactured. Like this wasn't, you know, this isn't like a, you know, super high-end fine, watch mm-hmm. and when you get real close you can see it like the indices and things are actually really sharp and that's really kind of surprising it's a weird juxtaposition of this like really sharp crisp indices that reflect the light really good and then this kind of wonky edge but that's how they that's how they were made and it's one of the things that drew me to this oh, the bezel is incorrect um and this piece actually before before i got this this would have been the most recent piece i think and this was one that i'd looked for for a long time and i found one in horrible condition for 25 bucks and i had just lost out on an ebay auction that, that one in great condition went for like 300 bucks i would have totally paid 300 bucks for that people don't mm. aren't looking for these like crazy and i went oh crap i missed out on that and i had gotten this one and actually at the time i had been as i i had been going through my separation at the time and i kind of felt a little bit down in the dumps and stuff but finding this watch 
beat up and it was 25 bucks and the crystal was shot the crown was shot it didn't work properly and i had to go and like find parts for the movement and like people don't this is not a popular movement like mm -hmm. it's really hard and some of the parts i got they were wrong I had to keep bringing them back to the watchmaker and be like, is this the thing? And he helped me out. Uh, this guy helped me out to get this piece to back together and make it run again. Uh, the bezel's incorrect, but it was close. Mm -hmm. And uh, But anyways, the thing that I have a connection to this piece because I kind of think like at the same time, like, you know, things in life weren't going so good. There was, you know, failure in, in my the grand scheme of things. And I felt kind of beat up and broken down. And I kind of felt like this, affinity for fixing up this watch you know and it took time to find the pieces and get it back together but it was kind of funny because like by the time i started to get things back together and i was you know time had passed and i had actually met someone else i started seeing i'm still still with now my partner now um it was a weird symbiosis between like me repairing my life and getting things back together and fixing this watch so i have an emotional connection to that piece as well on, on some level but it, yeah it's, it's just a peculiar peculiar piece it's not it's not for everybody but um it is for me you know and i think I, as much as i just i'll touch on this once more but like you know i go in and i make these posts the refining time posts about watches you know again I, if anyone's listening to this and then they go and they feel like hey, i have that bright like like it's not i'm not trying to do that you can things don't things are what they are and you mm -hmm. can find a way to appreciate it. I'm not trying to diminish anyone's appreciation for something in the world of watches. I do think that things can be done better and I'm a nerd and I'm crazy about this stuff. So like, you know, I'm gonna talk about it, but in no way, shape or form, any in any way do I wanna diminish someone else's joy or for something that they really like. You know, they may mm -hmm. really like something I don't like and that's fine, that's cool. I don't, doesn't bother me. The type will still bother me if it's a problem with that on the dial. But anyways, everyone has a thing that they like and. I think that's one of the great things about about this community and like you know remember going to red bar events remember remember people and being in a room together wow you meet so many different perspectives and and why someone else collects and and um yeah you know that there's this different strokes for different folks and there's a lot of different folks out there so yeah yeah i mean thanks so much for sharing your collection and and some of the the really special stories behind them and and you have some very incredibly uh you have a very diverse collection but everything when you explain it it all kind of comes together in its own way right and i think that you have some really cool pieces i i'm i hope i hope that at least one of us gets a flight master so i'm i'm <laughs> i'm gonna live vicariously through you until i get one and, and hope that you, you pick one up and uh that'll be a cool a cool piece to have in the collection as well too and um yeah i i think that that's an awesome place to kind of leave off with yeah. the episode where we're coming up on almost two hours here so. oh my god i talk so much <laughs> i don't know i awesome. apologize to all of your viewers and listeners i no. am a windbag no, it is, it is interesting. And I think you gave so much cool insight and people are going to love hearing what you have to say and your experiences and your thoughts and, and your processes behind the things that you do with regards to design. Um, really quickly, I know you already did it once, just kind of tell everyone really quickly how they can get in contact with you and some of the landing spots to engage with some of your content. Yeah, um, I'd say um, best way to reach me, uh, probably through Instagram, which is teenage.grandpa, mm -hmm. uh, teenage.grandpa, that's my main personal account. Um, you can also um, check out my website, which is sentientcreative, all one word, .ca. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I also have an at sentient creative Instagram, which is just for that. I don't post there as, as regularly. So really, really through, uh, through that. And, uh, you know, also actually, if you wanted to see some of the other things I've done, uh, that are not design related. I used to write for blog to watch from time to time. I haven't done it in a while, but there I have articles on there. And, uh, you know, I, I picked pieces that I, I cared about. So you see me talk about things there. That's another way, but yeah, I hope, you know, if anyone wants to nerd out at teenage dog grandpa, I'm there, please let's, Absolutely. let's talk nerdy to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Terrific. And uh, likewise for myself, anybody who has any questions, comments, feedback, or just like to talk about watches as well too, shoot me a DM at Rico's Watches Podcast on Instagram. You can also email me at Rico's Watches Podcast at gmail.com. If uh, you enjoy the audio uh, medium to listen to the podcast and, and things like that, but would like to see the video as well, you can head over to the Rico's Watches podcast YouTube channel, where I also upload all of the conversations uh, with the video. So you can look at some of the cool watches that Matt's been talking about, uh, kind of get an idea of the guy behind the voice, I suppose, and kind of who I'm talking to in the conversation. And uh, yeah, you can also leave comments, feedback, uh, like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff to the general YouTube pitch for that. So uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat. It was a fantastic conversation and uh, I really had a good time and, and I hope you did as well. I did. I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, thanks for letting me flap my jaw at you for so long. Absolutely. <laughs> Such a long amount of time. We will definitely have to have you back on again. You take care, okay? Bye -bye. All right. Thank you. Bye.